We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Chargers fans? Welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast. Today, as I always like to do, I try to bring on people that are smarter than me, than me because there are many people who are. I love bringing on <laughs> guests who know and are so passionate about something so specific. So I'm bringing on Kyle, who wrote an article, Understanding Compensatory Picks and Their Role in Roster Building. He wrote that for Bulls from the Blue. I wanted to talk to him about it because it is one heck of a piece. Kyle, thanks for joining me, man. How are you doing? Oh, thanks for having me, Tyler. And uh, I don't know, you know, too much about that whole uh, people smarter than you. I certainly wouldn't say that. I might have one little niche that I really like to focus on and wrote an article on, but uh, I'm here today to talk about it. Yeah, it was, it was pretty darn good. And I read through the whole thing. I, it's been a while since I have read through it, um, but it was just so impressive. So well done. It does remind me a lot of when I kind of approached Arjun last year about bringing him on for analytics because he just had this way of explaining the data and talking about the data and i loved it so i saw this and it looked so much like that i'm like i gotta get this guy on this guy has did a fantastic job so uh we're going to talk about it here the compensatory pick something that chargers fans maybe aren't very familiar with i'm certainly not very familiar with them let's get into it this is going to be basically your show from here on out if i have any questions i'll fire them in otherwise take it away awesome Thank you, Tyler. Um, are you doing the slides or am I here? You, you are doing the slides. It? I have it up awesome. here for you and you can click on through. Killer. Thanks, Tyler. Um, so yeah, this is about understanding compensatory picks. And it's kind of a funny topic because for Charger fans, a lot of us have never really heard about these or really talk about <laughs> them too much. Uh, that's part of Tom Telesco's management. He's had a different sort of strategy and we also haven't had the deepest roster in the past that has allowed us to really maximize it. We've had a great, you know, upper level of, you know, great starting roster, but we have that we retain and develop talent with, but we haven't had guys that we've let walk and sign elsewhere that have netted us some compensatory picks. And we're going to go over um, what that looks like, how we could change that up a little bit, what we've done in the past that's prevented us from doing that, how we can change it in the future and start improving in that sense. Um, so I'm really excited to get into this with you, Tyler. Let's do it. So to start, uh, this is unprompted. Tyler doesn't know this is coming his way, but um, I'd like you to give this trade a, uh, this trade a grade, Tyler. Uh, you know, on, uh, on April 2nd, the Dolphins and Patriots uh, agreed to terms 
The Patriots went and got Devontae Parker. They gave away a third and got Devontae Parker in a fifth mm. um, in return. And the third was for next year. So what do you think about that trade? So yeah, that would have been what a second rounder this year, third rounder next year. If they're 2023, Patriots get their 22 fifth rounder. It's been a while since I looked at this. I couldn't yeah. tell you much about how Devontae Parker has performed recently. I'm surprised they did get a fifth round for him. Only get up a third. I will say I'm generally in favor. This is not really related to the the content of the trade, but I'm generally in favor of just drafting a wide receiver. I don't know about Devontae <laughs> Parker as much. So I will just say it looks like everyone got what they wanted. B minus. Okay. Okay. A B minus. So next year's third. This year they get a fifth and they get Devontae. Mm -hmm. What if we looked at it from another perspective and I told you that New England mm. may have given away a third rounder next year, but it might uh, instigate a snowball effect of them getting a fifth round this year, Devontae Parker this year. Next year, uh, it'll help them gain an additional sixth in 2004 or, or 2024 of extra fourth rounder and in 25 an extra fourth. So what would you grade that kind of trade? If, if I'm just grading the Patriot side of things, that seems like a, a slam dunk. As long as everything works out, of course. Looks like an A to me. That looks pretty good. Yeah, I'd be pretty stoked if I was the Patriots. And yeah. believe it or not, if you look at a lot of the trades the Patriots make, on paper, like that first trade we were looking at, they might look, you know, decent. C, B. But sure. if you follow why they're making these trades and the actual overall effect they have on the roster building – they habitually make trades that look like this. And we'll get into at the end of the presentation, once we've learned about compensatory picks, how I got to these extra picks that we've added on. Okay, can't wait. So obviously we need a quick refresher. Like we said, some Charger fans might have no idea what compensatory <laughs> picks are because we never get them. Uh, the first one it seemed like that had an impact was when Philip Rivers left. And I think some of us may have put up like an effective blocker because we were so sad about losing Rivers. We were like, we don't even want to think about what that possibly got us. But um, basically the compensatory picks, you can look on over the cap. They do a great job of breaking everything down. And they're often a resource I go to to track this kind of stuff. But the basic synopsis is if you let players walk and they sign elsewhere, you are eligible to receive a pick in return. And the way they measure that is by making a chart that tracks all the players that you've brought in and then all the players that you've let go. And if you have a surplus of players that you've let go, you're then eligible for picks that are in relation to what, or sorry, how much they signed for. And it's on a very interesting thing for me is it's on an average per year basis and not necessarily the entire contract. Mm. So if you have players that are even a little older, like if they're get, getting to that 30 or 31 age bracket where, you know, they're not getting those long contracts anymore, but they still sign for 10 years, that counts the same as somebody that signed five years for 50 mil. So it's something to think about when you're trying to target players to sign to help with your compensatory formula down the road. The other interesting thing is there's a specific time window of when these free agents affect the formula. It's only from the start of the new year to the uh, Monday following the draft. That was kind of hard to find because uh, there was always dates given uh, every year, but I was able right. to find it's the date, it's in the CBA, it's the date following the draft or the Monday following the draft. So outside of that, all of a sudden you're free to go and spend again and have it not affect this formula. So that's why 
you see another wave of signings right after the draft because hmm. teams are then able to uh, you know spend without any repercussions in a sense, other than what it does to their cap space. Good, great. Uh, just for my clarification, what yeah. is the start of the league new year? Just we have that window. Oh, gosh. Um, it's the date that I, I don't know how they break it down. I think it was like the third week in March this year. It was okay. when, you know, when we have that three-day pre-tampering period. Okay, I think it was the 13th then this year. But okay, so free there, agency. Yes, exactly, okay. exactly. Um, the three days of the pre-tampering is before the league year. But when free agency starts, that's what signifies the new year. So it's that okay. window. Mid-March yeah. to first May, probably first Monday of May, probably. Cool. is your window to sign. So let's look at Bill Belichick because besides from drafting the greatest player ever in the sixth <laughs> round, which yeah. incidentally was a compensatory pick. I don't nice. know if you knew that, but that was a Did compensatory pick. Uh, so there's, if we want to like sidetrack from facts like we're doing right now and go to like theories Maybe Bill drafted the greatest quarterback ever in the compensatory round and then decided these are the compensatory picks or these picks, these compensatory picks are something I need to prioritize building around. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But whatever the case may be, in the 22 seasons that Bill has been the Patriots coach, manager, whatever you want to call him, um, overlord, uh, he's gotten <laughs> 40, 42 extra draft picks. So that's a pretty substantial amount of roster power, building power. Mm -hmm. And they haven't even been just heavily favored to the sixth or seventh round. You have nine thirds, four fourths, five fifths, 15 sixths, and nine sevenths. Um, something I didn't mention before that I probably should have is the compensatory picks do start at the back end of the third round. And those are for players like Philip that were leaving for a lot of money. And yeah. it trickles all the way down to the back end of the seventh. And you typically have to sign in today's dollars. Obviously, this will change down the road, but around two million um, a year to affect the formula to get a seventh. Like Josh uh, Harris uh, is not going to affect the formula mm, for okay. us because he signed for one point four. Mm. So that's almost two extra picks per draft. And if you roll that into understanding that rookies have a four-year contract, you're looking at six to eight players, assuming you don't cut any of them, extra drafted players on your roster at any given time. That's preventing you from rolling out. You know, granted, maybe an uh, undrafted free agent does great in training camp and takes away a roster spot from somebody that was drafted or just one of those last roster spots where he does come in and make an impact. That's preventing the Patriots from rolling out. Trey Marshall, a, uh, you know, Juan <laughs> Campbell did okay yeah. in some cases, but, you know, some major liability spots that are on our roster, they, Patriots don't typically have those. And they also have guys that are killing it on special teams, and that's because mm -hmm. that's where a lot of these guys are getting drafted. Mm. Um, and when you have this surplus of picks, you can kind of see how, okay, if our depth is a lot stronger now and we're able to have these in-camp battles that actually result in players – earning a spot as opposed to being given a spot when these guys, you know, these extra picks are going to go and sign somewhere else and then bring us, you know, extra draft capital down the road. It's a self-perpetuating cycle in a sense. Uh, um, incredible. Yeah. 40, 42 picks. I don't know what the number is for Telesco. I'm going to assume it's under 10. I, I don't recall what the number is. Oh gosh. Uh, yes. It's, Oh man, I had this in my notes and it's in the article, but before the last, before 2019, he only had like, 
three or four or five. It was very low. Mm -hmm. I think, no, I think it was seven because he had, I'll have to look that up. I'm sorry, Tyler. I don't know the answer either. You can make something up and be like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) It's in my article. Um, He effectively got less picks in a seven-year window than we've seen the um, Rams get in one year, I think. So I think it was three or four picks. Um, which is crazy. You know, it's very weak. But then in the last couple of years, we did get more. You know, we had Philip uh, gain us a yes. third. Last year we had um, had one or two. And this year we have, um, you know, we have the two sixes or three sixes, I think, and a seven. One six, three sevens. Oh, yeah. They, I forgot. It, last year it was Wade where Tyrod was supposed to give us a sixth and do a yes. lot better. And then thanks to his injury and Mills doing well, yeah. it got bumped down to a seven. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was a bummer. But um, yeah, the 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 Patriots have done an amazing job at capitalizing on this, and we'll get into the Rams as well. Um, but staying on the Patriots for one more second, um, this is another trade that they made, and a mm. part of Bill really I call it manipulating the formula because that's what he's doing. <laughs> he's making trades that are on just another. Way, like just whole other wavelength, like level that some of these other coaches are. It reminds me of, I think it was that Jets game where Bill was taking advantage of the rules in some way and knew oh, like if, they, the, the, if his guys committed that penalty. Yeah. Uh-huh. When it's, and he's just sitting there laughing. Like <laughs> I picture Bill making these trades and just sitting down, sitting there laughing and just going, how do these guys not realize that uh-huh. I'm just fleecing them? And then he lets his dog come up in the first round and finish a draft. It's, it's great. It's awesome. It's good TV. Yeah. Um, so in 2018, the Patriots traded a third rounder and received a fifth rounder. This was the same year. He didn't push it to the next year like he did before, but received a fifth rounder and Trent Brown. A lot of times people are apprehensive to trading for players that are in their contract years because they're like, well, you're just gonna have to resign that guy anyway. But right. Bill looks at it in a totally different way. He says, well, if I trade this guy for draft capital right now, and I bring in a guy that's going to fill a clear starting void. If I let him walk and he does mm-hmm. what I what I believe he's going to do because I have Tom Brady um, behind the center and he's going right. to make any offensive lineman look good, I'm going to get a draft pick back for this guy. So it's almost like I'm, I'm borrowing a draft pick from now. I'm going to get it back later. Mm-hmm. And in the process, I'm going to get a Pro Bowl starter on a team that won the Super Bowl. I mean, that's brilliance in my mind. Oh, yeah, no, the, just laying it out here – it, it's I don't you, I always look at it and I think Chargers fans or any fans look at it as well we get this guy this year what's the, or let this guy go this year what's the comp pick next year but seeing him do this like that trade and then wait down the line get a more valuable pick later on and have the Pro Bowl starter it's it's this is amazing it, it's actually it's 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 brilliant like you said like he's, he's manipulating he's laughing at everyone it's it's pretty impressive now what he does with those picks is a whole other story but. Yeah. <laughs> him getting these picks is fantastic yeah and that's totally fair as well and actually when we get into the rams you'll see that they often trade and manipulate them in another way but if you look at this strategy uh compare it to, and compare it to what the position the chargers are in right now yes we could go out and draft a right tackle but we're assuming that that right tackle does what we want him to do it fills in that starting role. Like hopefully, you know, who penning maybe comes in and is just an adequate starter and slowly develops. Mm-hmm. I'm of the mindset, a player can develop in his rookie year on the bench and in rotation, you know, he can come in and 
get a game or two and get just a lot of time on the roster, developing with the coaching staff and not hinder his development for next year. And overall, you're not going to be, if you're just thinking specifically compensatory picks, you're missing an opportunity to bring in somebody that just like Trent Brown just comes in for one year, fills in and then gets you a compensatory pick while that drafted player is even on your roster. So this could give us an opportunity to draft a fourth rounder, fifth rounder, right tackle that we can develop for a year, like maybe a Max Mitchell or something like that. Sure. And we're not really losing anything in that sense, but we're potentially gaining a great starter now that we don't have to develop and then a future compensatory pick down the road. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I don't know if you're getting into it, but how did you feel yeah. about the Khalil Mack trade then with that same, because he's obviously not in a contractor. You have three more years, I believe, to his Yeah. Year. How did you feel about that in general, especially when it, trades don't count against the comp formula, right? Correct. And that's, it, it's basically how, if you look at Bill's offseason this year, he, it's probably confusing. I should probably say the Patriots offseason because there is a Bill's <laughs> team, but um, this isn't, this is not a show about the Bills today. Uh, the If you look at how Bill typically brings in free agents and how, or brings in talent and how he did it this year, he went out and traded for a cornerback because he wanted to fill in a cornerback. Uh, in, in doing so, he didn't affect his comp formula. He went out and traded for a wide receiver, didn't affect his comp formula, okay? Mm -hmm. But he, and he knows he only has two leaving. We're giving him a third, essentially, by signing J.C. Jackson, but somebody was going to do that. Sure. And he lost a center. I think his name's Karras or Karras or however you say his name. Um, I forget. He signed for $6 million a year. He's netting them a six. So mm -hmm. if Bill had signed a wide receiver for like, let's say he went after Will Fuller instead of went for this trade. Mm -hmm. He would have knocked out that six round pick he's going to receive next year. Gotcha. So that's kind of the brilliance of him going out and seeking out a trade instead of signing somebody that's available, which is probably what most fans typically look for. Mm -hmm. Now, last year was an aberration and we'll go over that in just a second. Yeah, Here it is. Belichick's roster building model. This is just my theory here. This, I have not talked to Bill about this, but um, this is just <laughs> what I see in his habits. Yeah. Uh, when he sees a position of need, he doesn't rely on the draft typically to go and fill it. He trades for it. He might sign players outside of the compensatory window, or he might go and sign somebody that's really cheap and it won't really matter. But he mm -hmm. typically refrains from signing within that um, compensatory free agent window. Um he allows star players or below to sign elsewhere. He regularly kind of has a core of four or five players on both sides of the ball that are culture guys that can bring people in, help them succeed, and basically make the play around them better so that other players can come in and sign elsewhere. I mean, it was no mystery for a long time that players were coming to the Patriots on short deals to – outperform their previous valuations and then go and sign somewhere else for big money. And then they flounder and everyone's just like, how, how are the Patriots doing this? And it's like, well, yeah. it's, it's right in front of you if you look for it. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, identify when you won't receive compensatory picks and attack free agency aggressively. Mm. So this is a model of really projecting out over the next three or four years, what your roster is going to look like and in one year, signing all the free agents that you think you're going to need in this window and mm -hmm. staggering their contracts in 
over over the so they expire in different years to try to mm. gain as many compensatory picks as possible over that time. You only gain a max of four picks. That doesn't include special compensatory picks. If the minority coach goes and signs somewhere else, or if you hire a minority co coach, that mm. gets tacked on on top of it. That's why the Rams have five this year instead of four. Mm. But that's basically what we saw Bill do last year for the first time ever, Bill, that, yeah. or at least that, that I can remember. Bill mm -hmm. spent a record amount of money within the first uh, day <laughs> of yeah. the, the new year, right? Mm -hmm. And all of the contracts were staggered in different years. And that wasn't an accident. It was a very strategic method of building up his roster so that these players are continuously netting him a return in each offseason. Wow. I know we're going to talk about the Rams in a bit too, but just yeah. is there a kind of bell curve here? Or is it literally just like the Patriots and maybe some other teams and then everybody else just doesn't know how to figure it out yet? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I would say... It's going to, it has to be executed by a GM and a coach that are on the same page, right? Mm -hmm. Which we've questioned for years and years <laughs> past if we've had that with the Chargers. Mm -hmm. And it seems like we do right now, which is great. Mm -hmm. You have to have a coach, even though, and, and, and we'll talk about this too. I don't see it as a way of mortgaging your future, mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily see a return on the compensatory picks until two years after you've kind of put the plan in place, right? Like if we're planning now for how our roster is going to look next off season and who we're going to be letting go, then we're going to get picks the following year in 2024. So mm -hmm. in a, in a league where a lot of GMs are probably concerned about, you know, whether how, how hot their seat is, whether or not they have a built in yeah. um, trust and rapport with the owner and the coach you need to have that kind of communication be effectively utilizing this. And I don't believe the majority of teams really have that. So yeah. If you look at Sneed and McVeigh, they have that. Oh yeah. McVay, yeah. Like they, they are absolutely working hand in hand. We're seeing that with Tom and Staley right now. And mm -hmm. I know you guys recently talked about, you know, is Tom seat kind of hot? And I think we all agree probably isn't. I know you guys were saying that because while he's got Herbie on this rookie contract, he's got right. this guaranteed window. Mm -hmm. So he and Staley need to, I, I would like him, if, there, if this could be an open letter to Tom, please take <laughs> this, deliver it to Dean, tell him there's no way he can, you know, do any renegotiate with you, let you go or anything like that for the next couple of years. Cause you're going to implement this and you're going to be seeing a net return in picks on in picks and roster depth in no time. So that, that would be my dream and goal, but there's 32 picks given out. Um, so Tyler, like naturally, if one team is getting four, three, two of those, there are teams that are just not utilizing it. So it's, I'd say probably if teams are aggressively getting two or more picks, you're probably only looking at five to eight, maybe 10 teams that have a, a history of getting these comp picks. Wow. Or, or it might just be three or four or five and the rest are just kind of, you know, luck of the draw each year. Or an accident, basically, just somebody yeah. happens to leave, like Rivers. Okay. Yeah, or a roster rebuild, like what we just went through. Right. And I don't. I don't think Dan Feeney, uh, Sam Tevi, and uh, all uh, Tyrod <laughs> from last year were like a part of a compensatory pick model. They were a. Yeah. The house is on fire. We we need to, <laughs> we need to rebuild. Right. 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 Uh, well, so yeah. yeah. So that. So hopefully, Tom and Staley can institute something like this. It does take. Confidence, obviously. So getting to the Rams, uh, in the six years of the McVay-Sneed partnership, they've actually netted 
14. So they they are actually outpacing Bill Belichick right now and how many picks they're bringing in per year. They're over two. And they're actually weighted heavily in the third rounders. Mm-hmm. So they are killing it. Uh, if you actually track the year before uh, before McVay came into the picture, the Rams traded up like most of their draft picks and leverage um, over the 2000, I believe it was, oh, when was that? It was 2015, maybe? It was whatever the year Goff was. They, they traded up to get Goff. And mm-hmm. it was an unholy amount of draft capital to go get him. And it actually leveraged their next year and hurt them in that sense. But they did retain some compensatory picks they weren't drafting in the first round, but they still drafted three players in the later rounds. Everett, um, Cooper that was drafted, although he's still on the team and is a Super Bowl MVP. I think that's a win. John Johnson, yeah. and then one other player that netted them three picks down the road. And that's kind of when their cycle got started. Um, so that would be, in my mind, they're a great example of a team that's utilized this effectively. And the funniest part of this to me is they're doing this while never drafting in the first round. They have still not drafted in the first round since the McVeigh and Sneed partnership. And they still every year have above the average amount of picks. Mm-hmm. They're averaging over eight picks, which if you actually, like I mentioned, 32 picks are added into the pool as compensatory picks a year. So the average amount of picks, if you spread it across all the teams, would be eight, right? Instead of seven. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So they are every year at or above. In one year, they were actually at 11. So it's just, it blows my mind. And it's a self-perpetuating cycle for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I am definitely quick to jump the gun and say, well, you traded for Stafford or you traded for Odell Beckham Jr. or whatever, Von Miller, and you're mortgaging your future, yeah. you're mortgaging your future. But then like their future looks pretty good. Like yeah. they're smart. It's such smart investments. And like you pointed out, seven third rounders was the Belichick era for 22 years was nine, I think, third rounders. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Fant- I mean, just fantastic stuff. Just yeah, amazing. and the Von Miller trade right was a second and a third. Mm-hmm. So they brought in Vaughn a second and a third. People were judging the trade off that mm-hmm. Vaughn came and helped them win a Super Bowl. Signed for huge money with the Bills. He's probably going to net them a third next year. Oh, gosh, yeah, absolutely. So, the contract was huge. Yeah, yeah, it just keeps cycling for them. So it's it's a very when I discovered this for the first time, and I think it was the Trent Brown trade. I just started going, "You got to be kidding me! Like this has got to be something everybody." needs to learn how to do well not everybody just the chargers but um, <laughs> we'll see so where do we stack this is oh boy <laughs> here, here's here's the answer to your question tyler sorry I was, i'm glad i had it written down somewhere uh, in tom telesco's first seven years as gm we we only netted two compensatory picks a fifth hmm. in 2016 and a seventh in 2018 and that depresses me quite a bit um and you got to ask yourself why and i know when i was first following Tom before I was in this compensatory pick mindset. I used to love the way Tom wrote contracts because it right. felt like they didn't expose us to players falling off a cliff. Mm-hmm. But you know, by having most of the guaranteed money up front and then just spiking their cap hit in the last year and having a little bit of a little bit of a cap penalty, a little bit of dead cap, but gives us the flexibility to move on from them. Prime mm-hmm. example, Casey Hayward last year. Right. Yeah. And what did Casey do? Well, we cut him. We got, we still paid him some dead cap. We let him go to the Raiders. He signed with the Falcons this year for two years, 11 million. He just netted the Raiders a compensatory tech. So it's me. 
<laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome. So trying to get away from heavily backloading these contracts with little dead money, I think is important. We've shown in the past a complacency with, I call it roster holes. Uh, Tom might call it an area where we're developing in-house talent. <laughs> we, we, we can have a separate discussion on whether yeah. that's valid or not. And some apprehension towards trading to fill starter needs. I, mm. I So back to Mac, I'm sorry, we got sidetracked on that. I, I actually, I was thrilled over the Mac trade because I felt like it was a paradigm shifting moment for me. Yes. Mm -hmm. We've never seen that with Tom. And that opened up this whole like, oh my gosh, is Tom growing? Like what else could he go and do now? <laughs> Might he trade back in this draft? Who knows? Like we, it, it's a whole new Tom that we've never seen before. And it's a move, Tyler, that I, I would have, I, I'm still grading positively this year, but I hope he puts it, puts that arrow in his quiver and remembers it next year because mm. in following years, those are the moves we need to do to retain our compensatory picks. Go mm -hmm. and trade for guys in the offseason. Right now, it doesn't make as much sense um, just from a compensatory pick standpoint. Obviously, bringing Mac makes sense any day of the week. But in terms mm -hmm. of how it affected our compensatory picks, um, this isn't the year to be trading just for that purpose. But, mm. I, I mean, what it can do for Bosa and our defense is outstanding, you know. Yeah. No, I hope that, you know, you look at the two teams you talked about previously, the Patriots, the, the Rams. At this point, they have a system in place. They're very stable. Obviously, Belichick's been there for a long time. Six years now with Snead and McVay. I'm hoping the Chargers, because they, like Tom Telesco has always been, had to do this weird, I don't know, I'm not trying to give him, you know, credit or not credit, give him an excuse or anything, but it was always this weird juggling of, do we work with Rivers? Do we go all in? Do we move on? Now it just feels like they're able to obviously move forward and have this long-term vision. And I hope that there's at least stability, even if Staley's the one calling the shots, and even if we don't like everything Telesco's doing, I hope there's at least some stability where they can really address problems like this and look maybe much further ahead than they were, to, were able to before. No, totally, totally. I mean, let's be real. We had a quarterback that we probably could have built a championship win window around, and we dropped the ball. We, yep. we really didn't. And then... We got extremely lucky that somehow in a year that Tom Telesco didn't fall in love with a player and trade up for him, we had the best quarterback, the uh, our, our hope and savior, Justin Herbert, yes. fall in our laps. So, I mean, we're, we're sitting really pretty. And part of Bill's model is recognizing that. It's a little different. Where, where Bill with the Patriots and the Rams differ is that Bill recognized he had a quarterback that's going to elevate the play of everyone around him. Mm. So we don't need to be as aggressive in free agency or in other areas as the Rams are. The Rams are very big on trading away their firsts to bring in that talent. That's going to, you know, be the tide that rises all boats or mm -hmm. to just bring in somebody like Vaughn or Odell that, you know, if Odell didn't get hurt, he, he would have easily netted them a good pick. He's going to oh, yeah. a healthy Odell after that performance was going to sign for decent money. And so it's a, it's a, it's a their models diverge in that sense. We should be following Bill's model because we have a quarterback that mm, is absolutely mm -hmm. going to elevate the play of the offensive line, the receivers, the tight ends, maybe even the running backs. Um, so we need to capitalize on that while we can. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that. So that's awesome. Yeah. 
So this year's opportunity, where does this take us? What I previously didn't mention is you're not penalized in the years where you have this big imbalance of players being brought in as players that have left. So what I mean by that is last year when the Patriots brought in, I think it was like they brought in eight compensatory free agents last year when previously they hadn't brought in, I think they, they only brought in seven over a five-year period, which is nuts, like going that much larger in one year. Right. But it's because the, the league doesn't balance it out and say, well, you, you brought in eight, you only lost one or two, so we're going to go ahead and hold the next six signings you or players that leave in the next three years, we're going to take away picks from that allotment. It doesn't work right. like that. When you're running a big negative, a net negative, uh, it just washes every year. So this whole strategy is built around recognizing we're already not going to get a compensatory pick. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's go ahead and push all of our chips in, mm. in this year. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, I, I just, I've connected the dots at this point. So that, thank you for clarifying that too, as well. Yeah. And there's also this model that some people think it makes sense where you let some cash roll over to next year. But if we're talking about a player that could be brought in to fill a starting level or even like high rotational role and could potentially, you bring him in for one year and he could give you a cheap four year, you know, compensatory contract down the road. I think that is a, much bigger value proposition than rolling over what an extra 9 million in salary cap to next year. That's going to lose value by about 14% as the cap rises, you know, 9 million now isn't the same as 9 million next year. So yeah, spending it before it, in, before the cap inflates makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. I did have a question about that last sentence yeah. on here, but I think you're going to sort of address that with the uh, upcoming free agents and whatnot. So yeah. Do you do your thing? If, if we have targets? Uh, if we have targets and then just how that. So you're saying just for the listeners, not the viewers. Yeah. If it says the, the sentence is, if we commit this year and sign a few more free agents, we can set up approximately three to four years of outgoing CFA surpluses. So yep. I, I definitely wanted you to expand on that, but I think you are. Yeah, that is the rest of the presentation. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So here's our current cancellation chart. We're already in an area where we're not going to get anything back, right? I think we can mm -hmm. all agree on that. Uh, as you can see, Nuosu, Jones, White, they've all signed for, you know, and those are their per over the cap, their estimated picks that they should be getting because of those mm -hmm. um, contracts. Here are incoming free agents. We have more outgoing guys, but they're just not going to sign for the kind of contracts that are going to wipe out this other money. Right. I don't, where it gets confusing, Tyler, I don't have an answer for everybody is it's a little unclear if, you know, you see this incoming free agent for uh, 16.5. Would that wipe out multiple that people I had that, that like exact question? Yeah, yeah, it's a little confusing. It normally over the cap just has you know most expensive, most expensive get like crossed out, huh. and then they kind of guess and check for the guys that sign like in between the you know filling in leaving spots for like White. Like when White was projected to be like eight to ten million. He was, you know, at the top along with Nuosu, and they were leaving him there until he signed. And then he went to three, and it was like, okay, let's drop him down low now. Yikes! Um, whole, whole other show yes. there for you. <laughs> but um, so I would think that's why I don't think even if Linville, Chris, Jared all signed tomorrow, uh, even for two million each, I think Everett would just wipe them out in general. Like I think you would look yeah. at how much was brought in money wise, and it just doesn't compare. We're already gone. So does that yeah. make sense? 
Yeah, no, it does. I was looking at because it's obviously not a one for one. Sixteen and a half is not nine and a half. So I was definitely going to ask like, how does that work into each other? But I guess yeah, it it makes sense. But it's obviously not like a, there's no rhyme or reason. It just makes sense. But yeah, and that, and that's why it. it's it's confusing. It, it never it's that's why it's their projected picks the year mm-hmm. before. Like we were talking about, we were projected to have some of those seventh sevens be six. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it adjusts as we go, as players, players performance actually does, uh, trick into it a little bit, right. but it's heavily weighted towards the contract. So sometimes there are, you know, when you're talking about compensatory picks, it's very far in advance. They say, okay, these are the projected comp picks that they're going to get. Yes. And I believe, was it Rayshon Jenkins? Somebody this year, I think I, I thought they were going to get, I think there was talks early on, they were getting extra fourth for this player. I don't recall who it was. It ended up being that extra sixth. What what is the wiggle room? Why is there wiggle room? Why is it not just like so cut and dry from the start? Yeah, well, Ty- Tyrod Taylor is a great example too, right? Like mm-hmm. I think that that's somebody that was projected to get us a six based on how much money he was expected to earn last year. But a lot of that was in incentives, and mm-hmm. he those incentives were tied to playing time. Mills came in and started over him. There's also a percentage of snaps. That actually, mm. you know, doesn't just affect the money, but is actually oh, AirPod down is actually in the um, compensatory pick formula itself. So mm. if you, it's something like seventy five percent and fifty. I forget exactly what the numbers are, but okay. if you're if you have a, a contract that is incentive laden, you might be docked twice on the compensatory pick model, both in the money that you received, which goes into the formula, and in the compensatory formulas um snaps played mm-hmm. gotcha so yeah no, that's awesome okay so basically what we're looking at here again sorry for the listeners there it does help to watch <laughs> uh <laughs> we're basically not getting any comp picks next year there's almost no chance we're getting comp picks next year so we should just sign a bunch of players this year like belichick did last season because we're not getting comp picks next year anyway so it doesn't matter so go all in i mean i'm exactly i, I know chargers fans are for that but it's also nice seeing another reason why we should go all in like this yeah and it's in this is all getting back to going all in, but in, in that and having people believing that a lot of times that means you're leveraging or mortgaging your future. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the exact opposite. You're actually going to get a return on your investment if you go all in now. Mm-hmm. So moves that should be made today, find four starting positions that need an upgrade, identify four players that have upside in a new environment and ensure the target's contract expires while they are young enough. This is the big thing <laughs> to retain value on the open market. Mm-hmm. Don't sign a player that is going to be, you know, making an exorbitant amount of money in the last year of their contract when they're older and you're either going to cut them or you're not going to be able to trade them because even, even when their dead cap is taken into account, um, no team's going to want that contract. Mm-hmm. And if they do, if you do let them finish the contract, they need to be old enough to, or young enough, I should say, to resign somewhere and retain value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the chargers are, depends. They're likely not going to, certainly not a second round pick, but they're not really going to get anything back later on for the Khalil Mack trade because he's probably going to do his three years and yes. then maybe he's got one year, two years, but not, certainly not the second rounder. Yeah. Hopefully and hopefully, he can't get a second rounder. You know, hopefully, hopefully they don't release him, you know, in the third year because his cap, because his cap is low. That would kill me. Um, <laughs> he might get, he might get something. I mean, look at, he's 31 right now, right? Von Miller's 34. Is he really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's 34. Is he 34 or 36? He's older. He's much, he's at least three years older than Mac. So Mm -hmm. could Mac sign? 
if he stays healthy and if Bosa and him team up and ball out, who knows, man? Sky's the limit. Yeah. And then, okay, just when we're talking about the Von Miller yeah. trade, it's a six-year contract, but it's really like a three-year contract, whatever. When you're addressing the comp picks and you're trying to do the comp mm-hmm. formula and all that, it's about what he signed for in like, it's just like looking at it as a six-year, 20 mil APY sort of contract. It's not like, oh, what he ends up making. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it's so they don't go back and retroactively take away picks or balance it out if right. a player gets cut down the road. And it is it is what their average per year is with adjustments made at the end of the first year. If in the first, if it was like okay. a one-year contract or two-year contract, it was heavily um, affected by incentives. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Do void years play any role in this? So if a player voids out, they are out like it's not considered them being cut mm-hmm. is my understanding. They can still go out and get you a comp pick. Okay. Um, and that's just factored. That's a good question. If um, they would, because that could affect the average per year, right? Exactly. If they sign for two years. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I don't know the so answer to Kaiser that. Kaiser White has like four void years on his one year deal or whatever. So I was just yeah. curious if like, is it the average over those with the four years or is it just yeah. the one? So what I've seen is he is measured at one year. So that's, that okay. might be our answer is they okay, do not great. count, they, they, they count the effective years. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I have no idea what void, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so getting into our targets right now, um, I have a sheet. Um, it's, I'm stoked because I really like, uh, Daniel Popper and, uh, the athletic mm-hmm. and our sheet kind of matches up with where, what he's measured our spending power at. So that was like a good job, Kyle moment for nice. me. <laughs> um, but so we have, uh, 9.4 million that we can spend. And what's important when looking at that is, um, uh, you might look at that and say, okay, well, let's say we resign Ode Abushi mm-hmm. uh, and to 1.5 mil. Do we take that down to almost eight million in cap left? No, that's that would be closer to eight point seven because Oday would push out a player making seven hundred and fifty thousand, and right. is uh, one point five. So when we're talking about spending power, that's why I don't call it cap mm-hmm. um, space. I call mm-hmm. it spending power because you have to just have a little reminder that, you know, there is going to be like a $750,000 in savings in that first cap hit um, as it affects our cap space. So these are the guys that right now I would pick up. Previously, I had Cornelius Lucas and uh, I did have Kaiser White on here. I had Cornelius Lucas because I really was high on him. (laughs) Um, But it is what it is. Uh, Those guys have gone elsewhere. Right now, I bring in these four guys. They would fill starter slash like D Ernest. I, I consider RB one B another starter. Essentially. I think he would yeah. get borderline starter reps um, even with him and Eckler on the field at the same time. Questenberry would slide in as our uh, right tackle. Ode Abushi uh, would be, Oh, sorry. Ode Abushi would be our right guard. And Matthew, uh, Matthew would be a starter. Uh, another article I wrote Tyler mm-hmm. is on what I believe the one area in our run deep, what I think was the worst part of our run defense. I'm not convinced it was our defensive line last year. And Mm -hmm. I watched the Raiders game and kind of validated that a little bit or found some, found some discoveries. Mm -hmm. Um, When we ran like our tight front formula or tight front formation, we were actually netting negative 0.2 yards allowed to uh, Josh Jacobs. It was when we were lined up in our nickel formation 
against their 12 man person personnel with, you know, two tight ends on the field, typically what you run your base defense in. Um, we left our nickel in and they just kept running to Chris Harris's side. And Chris Harris was in that star position where he needs to be both a, cause he's so close to the box, a run defender and a pass defender. They kept running to his side. And when they were in that formation, they were giving up over eight yards carry. So oh, I'm really a fan of bringing in another safety, whether it's through the draft or in free agency that could allow Derwin to be our guy that's at the star, or even Nasir does a good job in that role, but we need somebody that's going to actually engage a blocker, which Chris Harris was amazing at backpedaling 10 yards away from our tight <laughs> end, their guard, whoever came his way. So these are the guys that I would sign. Um, I break down cap hits later. Um, we could also re-sign Derwin. I think he would free up about 3.3. I just went with the spot track valuation, but there's a chance he might try to, you know, make more than uh, Adams per year, which was 17 million per year. And this is 15.5. That's neither here nor there. That'll all wash out and how they negotiate everything. Oh, sorry. Hey, Anything I you want to talk about on here? Yeah. I hate to throw a monkey wrench in it, but Dernis Johnson yeah. uh, signed the tender with the Cleveland Browns. So they played yeah, the. But the Yes. Yeah, so that, and that doesn't prohibit us from signing him since it's a restricted free agent tender, right? Okay. Then explain that to so, me. <laughs> yeah. So Dearness Johnson was given a restricted free agent tender because he hasn't gotten through his full, I think it's three or four years before they can become mm -hmm. a unrestricted free agent. And the Browns, the reason why I have him penciled in at 3.5 million a year is because they signed him to a right of refusal tender. There's multiple tenders that they can uh, sign him okay. to. And they signed him to the lowest one, which was only 2.5 million. If they were committed to bringing him back, they would have signed, they could have get, gotten a second round pick if somebody were to re-sign him mm -hmm. by putting the second round tender on him, which was about 3.98 million per year. Okay. So that tells me that you know the right of refusal only gives them the right to match any contract that's given to him. They mm -hmm. don't gain anything if he leaves. So if they were to offer him a 3.5 or even in the other one I wrote, I did one year, 4 million. Um, I think, I don't think they would follow up to four, maybe not mm -hmm. even 3.5 because they've already shown that they didn't think another team might do that and potentially could have gotten a free second round pick by another team doing so. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I just say like, oh, he's got tendered. I guess we have to trade for him, but I see it's gotcha. I'm on the yeah, they, and, and that's my own research. That's if, if I'm wrong there, somebody in the comments blast me. I'm all for <laughs> it. That just teaches me and I'm, I'm still learning all this stuff too. But in all my research, that's been pretty consistently what I've seen. So that's, I believe that to be the case. Nice. Thank you for clarifying. No worries. No worries. So this is our roster as it stands right now. So I have this little chart in the upper left. Um, that's how I'm measuring our, oh, sorry. So those picks what the way our current roster is situated, we have, I have notes for this. Uh, <laughs> if you look at over the cap right now, we have 8.7 in cap space for next year. Mm -hmm. So my chart to the upper left is actually showing before we go and sign these guys that I want to sign. Um, we are, if you factor in over the cap has 8.7 in space, only 29 players signed. If I fill the rest of that roster with players at their minimum uh, at the rookie minimum contract, we're already at negative 8 million oh, and our draft pool. I put about 3 million in net overage from rookies signing as well. We're already at a negative 8 million in cap space. Hmm. Um, so 
this would set us up if we were to restructure Lindsley, restructure Bosa. I think that's why you haven't seen these moves made this year because we're already okay enough right now to make the moves we want to make. But we're going to have to restructure Lindsley, Bosa, Allen, somebody to open up space next year to be able to get out of this $8 million hole we're in right now. Yeah. Were you surprised then that they restructured Khalil Mack of all options? Yeah, it's a good, it's a really good question. But yeah, I was very surprised when you have it, it shows that they're committed to him for at least two years and hopefully three because he right. had no guaranteed money. So he made the most sense in that way. Mm-hmm. But when you restructure somebody, you're going to basically spread your savings in that year across the rest of their contract. And his cap was already, I wouldn't say high. If he comes back and dominates or just is 90% of who he is, yeah. cap it makes sense all day. But if he's um, if he does have some more injuries and stuff like that, it might start looking like a little bit of a taller cap hit. Um, somebody like Lindsley save six million next year. In the next two years, he makes an extra three. He still doesn't go over twenty million. And mm-hmm. I, I'm of the mindset that your center is one of the most important positions on the front on the offensive I line. I, I think it's I think it's more important than left tackle personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, for him to be making, I mean. Tyler, you're a Charger fan. I'm, you know, and you have been for some time. I'm sure you were sick the year that Philip Rivers was having to lean over. I think it was, um, who was it? Was it Pulley? Um, yeah. Where he was having to lean over and make mm-hmm. the offensive line blocking call, blocking adjustments and calls. Oh, yeah. And then and then going through his cadence, like I can't imagine what he was going through there. So yeah, I think Lindsley would still be worth it. Davis is likely to get cut or traded next year. Hopefully, he does well and we can trade him. Maybe there's an opportunity to restructure him or do something different, but they're going to need to save money somewhere. And he's just the lowest hanging fruit. Um, I, yeah, I kind of tailor this to try to keep Allen too, because I'm a homer, but yeah. And, and he said as much like he's going to stick around, but Davis is definitely the interesting one. They have a lot of flexibility there of the three you have here, Lindsay restructure, Bosa restructure or Davis being mm-hmm. trade slash cut. Which one do you feel like is the most likely they're going to go for? Is that Davis like the low hanging fruit? Like you said, Oh, well, Bosa, they're most committed to, right? And to just restructure him would make sense for in next year. Because mm-hmm. um, that's I believe that's his biggest cap hit. Okay. Um, so I would I think Bosa is the most obvious because they, they have the most to gain, right? It frees up 15 million. They're fully committed True. to him. He already like they could, I don't remember if he already has a void year or not, but he's somebody that I could see them say like getting outside their comfort zone because they don't normally use void years and being like, yeah, like we want him around. Let's tack on a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point I'd say probably Bosa. Okay. Good to know. So then we get to the right side of this, um, chart and our adjusted spending power, um, adjusts for those four players that I previously discussed being signed into, you know, so they already played out this year. This would be their cap hits for the following year. Obviously O'Day and, T- uh, Matthew are walking now, but we do still have Questenberry and Johnson locked into the roster now. Um, so we're only going to have, even with these adjustments made and those other free agents signed, um, Johnson's cap hit would be four million. Questenberry's would be two million in this year, so still not bad from those guys. But if you look at our adjusted um, spending power and the guys we have leaving, we have an opportunity here to earn between two or four picks. I'm assuming we're not going to bring in that many players in free agency. I hope we don't. I don't think we need to. I think if we were to be smart and use the Patriots model and trade for some guys, there is certainly opportunity to 
not br hard, bring in next to no uh, compensatory free agents. Uh, and, you know, let's say we re-sign somebody like Nasir because I, I do see him as kind of a foundational guy in this defense. Um, yeah. Maybe Drew, maybe Donald. But just by letting somebody like Guyton, Tillery, Ode, and Matthew walk, you might be looking at two-fifths, six, which I think is a huge gain in building this roster and preparing for when we have to re-sign this amazing quarterback to a $50 million contract. We're going to need cheap talent, you know, mm -hmm. to fill this depth. Um, anybody on that list that you think um, we might try to retain and, and Tyler, forgive me for the values that I'm estimating. Ah, Guyton is a shot in the dark. I'm just thinking <laughs> if he, if he has a great season and develops into the kind of guy that we want him to and Herbert's slinging it, maybe he can net 8 million. I mean, after Christian Kirk got almost 20 million, I think anything or 20, or, 19 million with up to 21 million a year. Mm -hmm. I think anything is possible, <laughs> but we'll see. I, I would love to assume that, you know, some of these guys all develop and they're great and they're retained and all that. But then you look at the history of Telesco actually retaining their guys. And it's like Keenan on Denzel Perryman for one year. Yeah. Almost it. And yeah. obviously the first rounders. So like Adderley, I think is a big part of the the team. Of course, could just as easily watch him walk. Um, Pickens, yeah. Who knows? Tranquil. We just saw what they did with Kaiser White. Wouldn't surprise me if Tranquil's gone. Yeah. Tillery is definitely the interesting one because they've never exercised. They've never, they've never not exercised a fifth-year option on a first-rounder, I think, so far. Tillery, yeah. I don't know. Like He's a guy that's going to play 90% <laughs> of the snaps, and they're just going to let him go. So yeah. I think, but we'll see. Um, yeah, Hopefully I mean, we keep Parham. You know, I, I like Parham. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Parham would be fantastic. I don't know how it works out with Everett. I don't know if Everett even has like a bunch of an out next year. I think they they're keeping him for two oh, no. years. So that's that is next. Yes, you're right. You're right. He has an he is here for two years. He he does have an out for next year, cap wise. Mm -hmm. But I just really hope they don't because he could be one of the yeah. guys that gets us the most next year. And sorry, oh, next year yeah. on the slide in 2024. Yeah, because yeah. he'll be 28, 29 when he signs that third, fourth contract, second yeah. meaningful contract, I guess. So yeah, that'd be awesome. And Herbie's going to get him 10 touchdowns a year, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, hoping for big things there. So uh, I didn't say this before, but this year, if we signed those players, we would still have that I projected to the contracts I projected, which, again, might be Homerish. Maybe Matthew needs another million or two. Sure. I, 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 I try to do my best to go off of what their values were, but I did also remake this. Um, Cornelius Lucas and... I also had Will Hernandez in here in there. That was the other guy. I really mm -hmm. wish we had gone mm -hmm. after him. He's an example of a guy that never had solid center play, only mm -hmm. had one year of a semi-decent left tackle um, that was drafted yeah. in the second round. If you suddenly sandwich him behind Slater and um, and Lindsley, mm -hmm. I, I think the sky's the limit for him. And I'm not saying it's somebody that we commit to for four years. I'm saying a guy we bring in for what the Cardinals signed him, one point like one million. Mm -hmm. With as a four-year starter, surrounded by two um, Pro Bowlers, all pros. I don't know if Lindsay made. I don't think Lindsay made All Pro last year, right? But um, Slater got second team. Yeah. I think there's a huge chance somebody like Will Hernandez or even Odeyabushi, um, if he stays healthy and has a mm -hmm. full season of playing well, goes and signs a good contract. But Will is so young, he could have really cashed in if he had an exceptional year. Okay, so you, you're, you're also, you already said this in your, your presentation. You're looking for guys who are also young enough to cash in in a big way following. Yeah, I like that. They, they have the greatest opportunity to really exceed in the, in the upper mm. rounds, right? Mm -hmm. But even if we bring in a guy like Matthew, 
you bring in Matthew for a year and then he goes and signs for one year somewhere else, like mm-hmm. for ba- almost the same as what he signs for us. That's an, uh, fifth year, fifth round pick in two years that we would gain along with a guy that could free up Derwin James to dominate in the box around the line of scrimmage. No brainer to me. Yeah. Just shot in the dark. I don't even know if you would have tracked this. Does Bill Belichick, because it almost seems like he does. Does he target almost intentionally former first rounders because of that first round bias? Because those guys are more likely to probably get more on the free agent market just because of that bias. Do you know if he's happened to maybe target those kind of guys? I always feel like I'm like, oh my gosh, that former guy went to the the Patriots again and former this or that. And I I don't know. I think Bill's got a hubris about him. So I think there's also a part of him that wants to like turn just these guys that a failed on other teams. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and other guys that are just, that no one else knows about like Trent Brown. Like, I don't remember what he signed for or what mm-hmm. he, where, where he was drafted, but just take some, any move that makes other people look dumb and lets Bill <laughs> sit at his computer and laugh. I think he yeah. loves doing. I, that's, that's, I, but in terms of like real research into it, Tyler, I don't really have anything. Yeah. All good. I total shot in the dark. I was just curious. <laughs> Um, yeah, so let's go to 2024. How this so we've already gained, sorry, from the last year. I'm guessing in doing this, we might we might gain two one or two fifths, one or two sixths. And mm-hmm. if and if we get one fifth, one sixth, two sevenths, like we're we're well within the range of getting four picks pretty easily if we make these um two signings. But if you look, Tyler, our biggest gains could potentially come from the two guys we signed to one-year deals now. So that's why we need to make this move and push our chips in now because we have the most to gain from the players we signed in the next two to three weeks, in my mind. So getting to the next season, um, we right now, I didn't adjust this with the, I didn't play with this year's uh, cap space at all because uh, other than Michael Davis's uh, dead money being added onto it, mm-hmm. but um 2024's roster and uh, compensatory free agents. Our cap right now is at 28 million. I'm estimating 14% growth until we're shown otherwise because they capped mm-hmm. the growth this year. We actually had overages, which will be put on the next year. Um, so until it stops growing at 14%, I'm leaving it as such. Okay. Uh, that 28 million doesn't account for if Nasir is extended, if Herbie's extended. So we are already pressed up against that budget. Uh, two to four extra picks by allowing Qberry, uh, David Questenberry, and Dearness Johnson to sign now and walk later for more money. I absolutely think Johnson's a guy that could blow up and, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, get a get that one good um, running back contract, you know. And I want him to do that after he's played for us <laughs> and goes and get us a fifth round pick. Uh, Questenberry, I think, after, you know, he would still be 33. It's easy for me to remember because I went to school with David and I'm oh, 31. Nice. So yeah, I, I played freshman football with the guy. Um, I, he played, I didn't play, but he, <laughs> he played. Um, but uh, yeah, he, him signing for 7 million a year, I think is doable if he comes on a team that's led by a Justin Herbert. We also have, uh, you know, Filer, Eckler, Everett. Obviously I want a good amount of these guys retained, but um, uh, I think it's very attainable to get, you know, a couple fifths, a couple six again, and who knows if any of these guys pop off and get us a third or somebody that we go and trade for mm-hmm. a year prior to fill a, fill a spot because that is part of the exercise as well. 
Um, so getting back to last year and this year as well, in years that we wouldn't be spending on compensatory free agents, right? Because that's part of this whole strategy is I'm telling Tom, hey, you got to pump the brakes on free agency. And in later years, go all in now for what you want to spend in the next couple of years. And then let this talent slowly leave and then bring in new guys by trading and by drafting. So you might look at that last year where I showed we only have 7 million in spending power and say, Kyle, that's that's not enough. Like, how would we make any moves? Well, right. this last year, um, I can name the teams that spent less than 7.3 million um, in compensatory free agents. And a lot of them didn't spend anything. Hmm. Um, Colts, Patriots, Titans, Cowboys, Commanders, Packers, Vikings, Saints, Bucks, Cardinals, Rams, Probably another team because I have the 49ers on there twice. <laughs> but um, but there's a lot of teams that haven't spent money in the uh, in these on these compensatory free agents. So the model's there. You heard some of the teams, Colts, Patriots, Bucks, teams with great rosters that don't need to go out into the free agency and spend the way we have in the past. Hmm. Um, and by doing so, again, like I said, two to four picks extra here, which would be exceptional. Um, yeah. where we land. Oh, sorry, Tyler, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just gonna, I would love for them to obviously once Herbert's contract is a significantly higher contract than it is now, would love for them to be able to do, you know, work those out where the comp picks are coming in right around that time. So, yeah, yeah. we'd be, we'd be looking at, I, I, I think 2025 or really 2025 might be where his contract, you know, his extension has been signed, but we haven't seen that ramp up. Right. I think, uh, Mahomes ramped up in year like seven. Before that, he was at like seven mil, 10 mil or something like that. And all of a sudden you get to that, you know, yeah. huge acceleration. In doing this, I think that acceleration would take place for Herbert in 25 or 26. Mm -hmm. And if it, even if it is 25, hopefully we have six to eight guys drafted in decent rounds. You know, think about the guys that Tom's drafted in rounds you know, four or five or even six, they're, they're depth guys or they're rotational guys that make an impact. And I think having those guys at next to nothing next to the vet minimum would mm -hmm. absolutely bolster the roster. Like you just said. Mm. Uh, so where we land in 25, uh, we maxed out in 22 in doing so we added four starting level players to um, what two left in 23, two left in 24 and in doing so, we gain these extra picks that, without mortgaging our future. So if we go back to the Parker trade, and now that we've learned what this compensatory formula is, and hopefully, uh, you know, your viewers, Tyler, have a better understanding of it if they didn't already. Uh, and we're tracking with this new information how Bill Belichick fleeced the Dolphins. Sorry for <laughs> Dolphins fans. Don't know why you're watching us, but this is our, these are our secrets. They're not for you. Um, yeah. But we have uh, – so the Patriots trade a third round in 2023 and gain a fifth round in 2022 in Devontae Parker. Myers and Aguilar are in their contract years. So Bill already knows and sees this, and he knows if I gain a starter right now, I can let one, of the, one or both of those guys walk. Mm -hmm. Let's just say, for argument's sake, it's Myers. But you also have Aguilar, who signed for over $10 million to the Patriots, which was an overpay – my mind, but again, Kirk's <laughs> getting 21 million a year potentially. So who knows? Yes. Um, but let's just say Myers leaves and signs next year for 10 million a year, uh, maybe 10 to 12. His 2021 over the cap valuation was 10 million. So I think 10 to 12 mil is per year is doable. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm basing these numbers, Tyler, off of um, when I'm like projecting what their contracts and um, compensation might be. I'm using today's numbers because it gets too complicated if we try to weigh out what sure. it's, it's going to be with you know the rising cap. But so let's say he signs for what today would be considered 10 to 12 million. Bill is going to save that six round pick. I, I told you he earned from that center leaving um, instead of losing that if he went and signed a starting wide receiver. So in essence, this has contributed to him not gaining, but retaining that um, six round pick he's going to get next year. Myers leaves for 10 million in 2024. He's going to get a fourth rounder by letting Myers or Aguilar walk. If he lets them both walk, maybe he gets a fourth and a fifth. Um, and then Parker, after starting for two years in the Patriots organization, probably going to do pretty darn well. Never going to win a Super Bowl because we're going to kick their butt in the playoffs. <laughs> but um, hopefully, you know, he does well as their number one receiver and he signs for 12 to 14 million a year. I I, I, I know you, you said you haven't really watched too much of Parker. I, I've always loved Devontae Parker as a player. I think he's got mm-hmm. a lot of talent. He's just had lesser quarterbacks. Miami, than yeah. <laughs> Miami, he had a coach getting paid to lose. I mean, yes. <laughs> how, how cool is that? <laughs> um, so I, and he has really good, I felt. I feel like, awareness and hands. I think mm-hmm. he's the kind of guy that excels in the Patriot system. So yeah. it might be, um, might be a little homerish of me to say that, even though he's not my guy. But, um, you know, we'll see. I think he's going to do well. This is representing what I believe the Patriots could likely be netting um, from that one trade. So what do you what do you think, Tyler, about how that yeah, train grades out? Reflecting no, that, that, obviously, if everything works out and everything yeah. goes great, and he doesn't tear his ACL in week one and all that good stuff, the process, even if the result maybe doesn't work out the way you want, the process of setting yourself up like this is so it it's incredible. It it looks like a foreign language to me, not because I don't. It, it's I, I can read it, and I, I get it, but I just we've never experienced this. Like it's it's just immersing yeah. yourself in this and looking at it this way not just looking at 2023 comp picks for me, but 2024, 2025, and the, the ripple effect of everything. It's, this is awesome. And for the Patriots to do this on a routine basis and get the, what was it, 42 comp picks over the 20-something years, routinely like this and have that plan extrapolated over two, three years, it's it's phenomenal. It's, again, why I wanted to bring you on because this is so, so fascinating, but it's something that I know so little about because there's no familiarity. I don't, please, I don't have please, to talk Tyler, about this ever. Open letter it to Tom, man. Please <laughs> use your connections, man. Get it out there. <laughs> no. Gosh, I wish you would. Yeah, no, it's then I guess, I don't know how much uh, you have more left to present, but I, I do have, I guess maybe the more important, the most important question is it looks like the Chargers have at least worked out some comp picks this season and mm-hmm. maybe more recently. It seems kind of more coincidence than them actually doing it. Yeah. Do you think that the Los Angeles Chargers and Tom Salasco and Brandon Staley will embrace more of this moving forward with Herbert, with the contract, with the way they've been mm-hmm. approaching different things? Do you think the Chargers will actually make a change or do you think it's going to be kind of the same old, same old? I think this offseason is going to tell us, to be honest with you. I think mm-hmm. I think we're, we're in a very big turning point where old Tom, that is a little bit conservative sometimes with the cap, that we go out and spend like he normally does a pretty good job, but he's also content with having a rollover. Like I said, I I don't see the value in that money rolling over. Mm -hmm. We have some holes that we need to fill right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm of the mindset, Tyler, if we're like, why would we 
draft a right tackle with like, why would we leave ourselves in a position where we have to dra uh, draft a right tackle? I'm right there with you. <laughs> when we, when there's players out there that not only could we sign, but we could sign and then get something for them next year mm. or in two years. Um, so that doesn't really make sense to me. If we have an off season that would remind me of last year where we had a very exciting first week, Lindsley Filer, um, O'Day was pretty quick and getting signed. Like all we, we made a splash, man. And then we were kind of going through the offseason and wondering, okay, like we could really use another safety. Like we need <laughs> some safety depth. We could use yeah. another cornerback, maybe. And there were guys out there. I was a big uh, Malik Hooker fan. Um, and I know he might not have done great, but again, it was that same mindset of why not just give that guy a flyer, exactly. you know, a prove it deal and bring in some talent. Mm -hmm. Um, even if we were to draft a penning or somebody to play that right tackle spot, kind of like we talked about. Well, now you've prevented yourself from picking your BPA uh, potentially, and you're going to develop the guy in our championship window, and you're going to prevent yourself from getting a compensatory pick in two years. Mm -hmm. I see nothing wrong. Even if we, if they do decide penning's our BPA, we want penning. Great. David's a good guy. Let David and Penning hang out for two years. You know, let David Questenberry be on that right tackle spot and let Penning develop underneath him for a year and then David can go. Like it's mm -hmm. it's those kind of picks that I hope we start making or it's these type of pickups we, that I hope we start making. And like I, like I said, if, if Tom sees next year as something he needs to roll money over for and doesn't make these moves, then I think we're kind of, it kind of shows us that maybe he's not there and, mm. and really wanting to, utilize this plan yeah and i kind of i can the next is basic next slide is just how we could maximize it moving forward and it's a quick summary only dip in the uh compensatory free agent waters when you're ready to go all in mm -hmm. so next year don't year after that don't focus on filling starter depth holes for players you know can be utilized and whose value you can increase refrain from designing contracts for our players it encourages you to cut them in the final years of their contract and for players already in, ready in this situation, like a Davis, trade them before they lose their value. Mm -hmm. I hope they do something with Keenan where we don't, if, if we do to Keenan what we did to Casey, I'm going to be crushed. I'm going to be really bummed because he's a guy that, you know, if they're not committed to him now, then maybe those, those Packers rumors aren't the worst thing in the world. But mm -hmm. personally, I'd love to see him restructure and stay. But if your plan is when his cap hit reaches 24 million and he's only 2.7 against the cap and for you to cut him, we're yeah. going to have a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and lastly, don't be afraid to admit that a Pipkins <clears throat> is underperformed <laughs> and seek that replacement before, you know, everyone else in the world knows. I think, I think Pipkins, like I broke down on film. My most recent article was on how he actually did in those games that we thought he did well. Mm -hmm. And it's still abysmal to me. I, I it's, yeah. it's bad. It's, he was, he was playing against, the best competition he really had was Malik Reed, who was, mm -hmm. you know, a low 50s PFF score. And yeah. there's still countless moments where you just see him getting overpowered constantly. I think right. there's a better chance he nets us like a low seventh if we keep him as like a rotational swing guy. And maybe somebody thinks, oh, he had a, those good starting games a couple of years ago. Maybe we'll throw two million at him. But I'm not ready to roll them out as a starter. And I think it's it would prevent us from bringing in somebody like David who could go out, sign and net us a decent compensatory pick. Yeah, there are plenty of right tackle options that are out there that are better than what I think they're actually going to end up doing. One of them being Penning, 
one of them being yeah. Pipkins for other reasons too, like obviously the comp picks and all the sort of other sort of stuff. But I don't know. Well, again, we'll yeah. see. Like you said, this offseason will really tell us quite a bit about whether they've embraced sort of this model or, or some sort of hybrid or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. And and that is it. That's the show, man. That is um, that is the presentation. All right, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you coming on and just breaking everything down. I'd love to see all of this broken down in such a way that we can all understand. And I think it just makes Chargers fans smarter, more knowledgeable and all that because we don't know any of this. I didn't know any of this before you sent it to me. I just knew comp picks were a thing we could get the following year. But you breaking it down in a full timeline is fantastic. And thanks to the you know Bolts in the Blue community for letting you post this and share this and feature this. So where can we find your work moving forward? Can we follow you on Twitter? Did you make this Twitter <laughs> account? Like, where, where can we find you? On the spot, yeah. Um, now that, you know, I again, special thanks to Bolts from the Blue. Uh, the membership on there has been very supportive. Like, I'm just doing this as a fan that likes writing and covering this stuff. Uh, but yeah, so my posts are all featured on there. And I did create this Twitter handle just recently. So it's like no followers right now, but I hope to be kind of <laughs> continuing to make articles like this and scouting reports and other stuff. And even though Bolts from the Blue is going to have it hosted on their fan page section, but I'll be posting links on the Twitter. So on my Twitter account. So it's, as you guys, if you want to come on, follow it. I'll keep updating compensatory pick style stuff give out a, a lot of other content right now. I have, um, you know, a diagnostic on our run defense and why I think the most detrimental part of our run defense last year still hasn't been addressed. We still have a giant hole there. Got a couple draft profiles and um, some other content. So it'll all be posted on the Twitter and on my Twitter handle. That's how, that's how new to Twitter I am. I still am calling it the Twitter apparently. <laughs> so that's, that is terrible, but um, I really appreciate Tyler. You having me on you taking the time to read that article. Cause it's a bear. Uh, I yes. know it's, it's a long, long, long deal, but yeah. I will have that article posted on my Twitter account as well. So if anyone wants to follow along, they can. And I have the sheet that I use to calculate all of our numbers linked in that article. So if anyone wants to pull that up and make a copy so they can play with their own stuff, they can as well. No, that's fantastic. I'll be linking the article in the video description and the description of the podcast and all that. So you'll definitely be able to find it, but definitely follow him at Bolt Breaker Box on Twitter if he keeps Bolt Breaker Box as his uh, Twitter handle. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it stays the same. Uh, I, thank you so much for joining me, man. I can't wait to see what you do next. And I hope everybody else in the Chargers community follows along too, because this is fantastic. And you obviously know what you're talking about. You put in the work, very professional. I really appreciate all of this. I love this. Awesome, Tyler. Thank you so much, man. This is like a dream come true for me too. I get to sit down and talk to somebody that's, you know, influential in the community about chargers. So anytime we can do this again, man, I'm always here for you. Oh, I will definitely have you on again for sure. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, guys, take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.